serves. This is Sir Gene with your morning update in the afternoon. Today we're joined by Tim from Ellen Pay. Tim, how are you? How are you doing? Good. But you're not a, a creator of a podcasting app, but you are somebody that's put together technology that podcasting apps are actively using right now. I'm helping power on both sides, actually. Some of the creator receiving end of podcasting 2.0 and some of the podcast apps that are currently streaming sats in that whole new ecosystem there. Yeah, all the payment stuff through the podcasting. Before we get into that, though, let's real quick chat a little bit about your background and how the heck you got into uh, writing an app or really a system that helps people like this. So what have you done previously and how'd you end up here? I've always been interested in finance and tech and the kind of intersection there and almost like I consider myself like a business first developer. So I did a lot of work in some of the background financial market stuff like reporting and SEC stuff for a little bit my early 20s. And then my day job now is my buddy and I started a company that sends out Amber Alerts for Lost Pets. So unrelated completely in the United States. But you're still in development, right? Or are you doing something else for that company? That, that company has been operating since 2014. And sometime a couple of years ago, I was thinking about micropayments, which is more relevant to this. But I was trying to figure out like what's up with the standard New York Times like paywall model, like why can't I pay 30 cents, 50 cents to look at an article and you hit the normal hurdles there, the credit cards and all that stuff. And I was poking around with that and I basically stumbled upon the Lightning Network and the Lightning Network was pretty in its infancy at the time, still mm-hmm. kind of is. And from that point, I stumbled into Bitcoin. So I actually became a Bitcoiner through that path. I oh, wasn't really much of a, a hardcore Bitcoiner. That kind of got me started. I was always like a trader and I like trade Bitcoin, or whatever, but I didn't really get it until like 2018, 2019 when I started thinking about this stuff. So from there, I started just trying to build small little things on Lightning to help see what that micropayment future looked like. That it was now that it was possible, or I saw that it was possible, or there's a way that it, it was going to be possible. And so I played with paywalls and stuff, simple little tools for using the Lightning Network. And as I was building those tools, there wasn't much adoption and it's growing in adoption, but I found myself more interested in building a tool to help people build those tools because certain verticals weren't really viable yet. And there's a bazillion verticals, right? A podcasting 2.0 is one of them. So yeah, I started building a API or like a, like software that, basically helps developers integrate Lightning into their apps. And I was trying to target people who don't really care about Lightning, but just want it to work, just like I did. Because when I first started, I had jumped through all these hoops, so much low-level development, and I just wanted to build the apps. So were you doing other development projects before you get into this, or did you really start learning development around the time you got into Lightning? So, yeah, I've been a developer for a long time, since probably 2008 or something. I ever since I've been a kid, I've been, my dad's pushed me a lot in that direction and stuff, and I've been building all kinds of random things. Like Paw Boost is the Amber Alert for Lost Pet Company. Paw Boost. Pretty much. Well, definitely, yeah, yeah let's definitely let people know about that as well. That's uh, Yeah, that's, I'm basically... Uh, tech and finance for that company and the 
basic idea there is we just send out a paid geo-targeted ad for a lost animal on mm. Facebook. And so it's like a bla- kind of blasted out. And, and is this an app or a website or how do people get there? It's a website, apallboost.com. And th- there's an app too. So it's not as much functionality in the app. It, the app is actually more geared towards what we call the rescue squad, mm. which is uh, pet lovers who love to just help and make connections for lost pets. So we've done a good job of aggregating all the lost pets or a lot of lost pets into one kind of platform. It's kind of been the goal there to help people make those connections. And we manage over 750 Facebook pages, Lost and Found Pets, Raleigh, Lost and Found Pets, Texas, Lost and Found Pets, Austin, stuff like that. So that's it's a fully bootstrapped company. My co-founder Clayton and I, we've done a good job of just trying to keep it real and do it ourselves. Just my mentality and also why I like working in this space right now. It's a lot of doers. That's very true. Yeah, if you're if you get on the podcasting 2.0 social there, the cooperation between developers is really top-notch. It's amazing. People are essentially talking to and helping and working with others that have very similar products, which you just don't see in most software development. Yeah, I've actually wondered that too. Some of the uh, podcast apps in particular, yep. they all seem to work together great. At the end of the day, it's I think the mission is just bigger than any one of us, and that's cool. And then whether you want to think that what Podcasting 2.0 has done over the last year or so is responsible for Apple making the changes that they're making, or not, regardless of what you believe about that, the fact that now there is absolutely an alternative for people that don't want to give Apple 30% of donations, and it's running on the uh, Lightning Network, which is, I think, a good transition to where we can talk a little bit about what exactly NLP does and what how it can help podcasters as well as listeners. Yeah, well, that, some of that business stuff is... Like the the business side of podcasting, I haven't really like Adam and Dave opened my eyes to like what's going on over there and just breaking it down for me. I haven't. I've always like, believed that podcasting there's lots of room for improvement, especially around like monetization and like value transfer before between creator and listener. And and the recent changes at Apple and Spotify are making prove that that like validating that's happening or it should happen. It's going to happen. But yeah. That, and Adam and Dave are there now with the alternative index, which I didn't even realize that this like podcast index situation was so like, just, I don't know, not really, I don't know, just seems left there, not much attention paid to it. I don't know how much of the back history, but Adam originally created the index. And when Apple, this is before iPhones, when they just had the iPods, that was the sort of the product that he was creating at four that he was using himself although it didn't have to be specifically tied to apple products either it was an open standard but he was building the index and so at one point he met with steve jobs and then jobs asked him for permission to use the index and so adam effectively gave the index to apple who have maintained it and on a very good note they've kept it open for others to use. So everybody's pretty much been relying on the availability of the Apple index for years now, but they've also never really done much with it because to them, it was always a 
It was something that was there and hosted by Apple simply as a marketing effort to sell more iPods originally and then eventually iPhones. But they've just let it go. And yeah. I didn't, that's interesting. I didn't know that backstory there. So thanks for telling me that. Yeah, it's uh, a lot of people that, that don't really know Adam's story. He's a really interesting character. I would recommend you listen to the episode that I've got which was my sort of fake interview with him. And it was a fake interview because it was built up of a bunch of little clips rather than just one continuous sit-down interview. But the content is all there, and I, I talk about... Is that the Curry special? Yeah, it's the Curry special. Yeah, I thought that was a cute <laughs> name. And then, you can, uh, although I, I will say my interview with his wife, with Tina, had about double the number of downloads of Adam's episode. Clearly, people are more interested in her than they are in him. But Adam's a very interesting character, and I've been working with him, trying to help him on this. But prior to that, we had a company where we did a hardware project to launch on Indiegogo. And that was an interesting learning experience, and we spent a lot of time really getting this product developed and designed. And one of the things that I had insisted upon from the beginning was that I don't want this to be something that we feel like is, well, something that we have to do, something that's like dragging us. I wanted to make sure that there was enough potential financially to make this worth doing. And so to do that, to actually get some profit out of it, rather than be working for free, trying to fulfill orders for people, I I decided that we needed to make sure there was at least a million dollars in sales from the uh, Kickstarter, or rather the Indiegogo effort. And while there was a lot of very early interest in this thing, I think we we wrapped up the campaign at something like $180,000 or something like that. So way under a million. And then the product was at a uh, $500 price point, if I remember right. It's been a few years now, but I think it was 500 bucks. And so it's not like we couldn't have hit a million. It, it's not that many units to get to a million. But if we actually uh, wanted to move forward at that rate of about 180,000 in sales, there was literally zero profit in there. We may have been paying money for each one to be manufactured because of the low volume. So we ended up canceling that deal. But yeah, that was, uh, I think it was a great idea. It was ahead of its time. And ultimately the product that came out from uh, Rode, the Rodecaster Pro, that product was fairly similar. I wouldn't say it was identical to the one that we designed, but it, it got 95% of the features and it's only missing a couple of features. And of course, Adam thinks it's the most important features that it's missing. That is, it is what it is. But nonetheless, I think we definitely helped to motivate people in the right direction. I also think this time around with podcasting 2.0, that it, it really was in a lot of ways, the efforts of Adam and Dave and all the rest of the people involved in this effort that kind of got Apple to perk up their ears, look around, and, and realize that if they don't do something themselves with podcasting could just slip away and they will no longer be sort of the default podcasting authority that they've been for the last 10, 15 years. It's been a, it's been a fun experience. And while I'm not writing my own podcasting app, I'm definitely trying to help out and be as involved as possible and I guess be a, a big uh, proponent and advocate of the new standard. And hence, interviews with people like you. Yeah, I think it's good to documentation of this stuff is 
I think is going to be timeless. These are new standards and new uh, like just protocols and ways of doing things that people are going to look back on and be like, wow, that was so long, like so much went into this stuff and it's going to be, I think it's still going to be the normal one day. Oh yeah, I do believe so. And the good thing is it is being documented really well and there's a lot of discussions and there are both discussions on the the chat side of it, no agenda social or not no agenda on podcasting 2.0 social, but also, or podcasting index social. I should probably know that, but it's auto-typed when I start typing yeah. in my computer. But also discussions happening every weekend on a um, Jitsi, which is like a, if you're not familiar with it, it's like a knockoff of Zoom mini- meeting. Yeah, yeah. They have the developer meetups every week yeah, or something like exactly, that. exactly. So there's a lot of opportunity to standardize things and document them. And documentation is one of the sort of weak areas that I've discovered as I've dived into Bitcoin and specifically into Lightning myself in setting up a lightning node and just well and the bitcoin node and really doing a deep dive in the last probably three four months i was really very tangentially interested in that before like not interested enough to run my own stuff and now Mm. that i've done that i i've every like literally every week i hit my head against the wall on something because there's so little documentation out there and yeah. it really feels like the only way I get good answers is by talking to somebody that had tried it before and then came up with a solution rather than by doing a Google search and then finding documentation that walks me step by step on how to do something. It just doesn't exist for a lot of this stuff. Yep. And I think that's just shows you how early it is. Really, there's a lot of ground there to be. Yeah. And it's seven years old. So it's early, but it's been around for a while now. Adoption of stuff. Right. So let's talk a little bit about Alan Pay and exactly what are the things that it offers. Obviously, I've played around with the website, but walk us through what are the different services that are on there. So it's the project started as like a little lightning playground for myself, and creators can go in there now and make paywalls, which is basically like a you can create a link and put a paywall in front of it. And then when that person pays via lightning, it'll just get redirected. And that's what I started with as like a cool idea. And there's another product, which they called faucets. And that's another term that like, if you Google that, you don't really get anything. I'm not even sure where or what, I guess it started from Bitcoin faucets back in the day, but you can create a faucet, which you would deposit, say a thousand sats into it. And you can let people withdraw those at like certain intervals or one at a time or 10 at a time in the giveaway style. And I thought it was cool for engagement, like new ways to engage audiences. And a lot of the ideas I have are just ways to flex the new like micropayments on the internet. Cause that's just new. No one's, that's not possible now. And there's going to be, at least I think a world of possibilities in the future that involve micropayments. Like it's going to change the advertising models. It's going to change how engagement is measured. It's going to change just in general, how people get compensated. There's so much ways that, that I think is going to impact the internet. And that's what all of basically LMP, the idea is to try and leverage, let people leverage micropayments on the web as easily as possible. So I started with the paywalls and faucets and, then I 
gravitated towards. I, saw, I noticed I was building the same sets of tools over and over. And so then I just started building out what I call a wallet API, just basically an API that lets you easily interact with the Lightning Network without having to worry about pretty much any of the things that you were talking about. Yeah, it's definitely something that a non-technical person would not want to be doing. It, it, aside from the fact that there's little documentation, it also involves having to learn both about the Lightning Network, about the Bitcoin Network, and a lot of the available software for handling that stuff is very beta, if not alpha. So there's a, it, it very much feels like you're, you're just playing around and testing things more so than actually usefully using it. And I know that's something that Adam and Dave are obviously promoting the the usability benefits of using Lightning to do these streaming micropayments, having sats coming in whenever people are listening to the podcast, which I think is absolutely the, the right approach. It's a great idea. It's a true pay for use only where you're not agreeing to some flat monthly fee, like for example, the way Apple does it, and then what happens if you got busy and you just didn't have time to listen to anything? Well, you still got charged. It's based on just time and repetitive nature of uh, recurring payments. Whereas these micropayments are absolutely coordinated with the actual listening that you're doing. So you really only pay while you're listening. And of course, you have the opportunity to hit the boost button and then pay more if it's something that you really enjoyed. Yeah. I think one of the important distinctions between the Lightning Network and or Bitcoin, really, and the legacy system is really just the ability to push payments. Just pushing money is something that's just different, right? Like recurring subscriptions in Apple, they have to pull the money from you. And it makes it hard to build these types of models where you can just, yeah, push money in a real per usage manner. And that's cool. It's cool. Yeah, it's closer to what we used to have before unlimited phone service on cell phones, where you actually paid for the usage of your phone. It's more along that line, except the numbers are vastly smaller, of course. As Toshi is one one hundred millionth of a Bitcoin, right? Yeah, and a lot of people don't even know that. There's a lot of people are that I've run across just in everyday world, everyone's heard of Bitcoin. And most people have even heard of the fact that it's over $50,000. And it's like, oh my God, how can anybody afford that? That sounds like a crazy thing to even trade without thinking that you don't have to do it one Bitcoin at a time. Uh, dude, people legit don't realize that's just part of the education. Also, the unit bias stuff is real. We're seeing some of that with yeah. some of these other... Shit coins pumping. Exactly. And I think the shit coins have spoiled it for people understanding that there is this tiny unit called a Satoshi because they just think a Satoshi is just another shit coin. Right. I think eventually everything will be just denominated in sats. Like, I think Bitcoin will go away. It'll fade further and further away as the price goes higher and higher and the need for sats and millisats, msats comes. Yeah, because I I fully think Bitcoin's going to get to a million and just mathematically it should there's no reason that it wouldn't because it's a limited resource there's hardly any left to mine and the adoption is still in its infancy and as more adoption happens less and less will be available so the price has to go up but the the sats which right now are fractions of a penny in u.s dollars they could end up being more than a penny maybe even like 10 cents or whatever the I haven't done the math in my head here for 
when Bitcoin is a million, what it's going to be. But certainly sats could get to a point where they are too big as the smallest unit of trade. Right. Yeah, I can't remember, remember what it is either. I think it's like one cent. Is one sat at a million or something? But yeah, that, I think yeah. So I don't know if that's right, but something like that. And yeah, you, I think you're right. It'll get too small and millisats will become a thing. And I'm already feeling that now. My service operates the lowest uh, unit is one Satoshi. Mm-hmm. And I need to fix that. Because if you've commented on is that some of the back to the podcasting 2.0 stuff, some of the splits are kind of don't really make that much sense when one yeah. Satoshi is your base <laughs> unit. Well, they, you know? they don't make a whole lot of sense when 10 Satoshis is your base. Because again, the standardization that people are going for is to take 1%, maybe 2%. And then there's a few apps that take 5% out as well. But all of those become meaningless when you're talking about 10 or five Satoshis at a time, because the minimum transfer unit is one Satoshi. So everything gets rounded up and you start having uh, the subtractions or the splits uh, instead of one or two percent being like 10 or 20 percent so they're all tiny little things so i don't want to overhype or over argue the idea that hey my 100th of a penny just had a bigger chunk taken out of it but ultimately it's just math the value can go up and down but if you're calibrating to always rounding up to one sat and allowing transactions that are as small as five sats then you're going to run into this no matter what. Yeah, and I think part of that is just as this progresses, like I need to basically let the developers send in millisets. Mm-hmm. And that's something you could do on the Lightning Network. I just need to add that functionality into my API and that problem will be fixed soon, Yeah, right? That's on the roadmap. But well, And I know what some of the devs are doing, which makes sense, is also for the transaction fees is they're buffering or escrowing those transactions until they get to larger size. So you might be have you might have a setting that says 10 sats per minute for playing a podcast, which by the way again is like less than pennies, you cheap bastards, you got to crank it up a little bit. But <laughs> but with that setting then they'll calculate the listenership, but they won't set uh, they won't send a payment every minute. They'll wait until Maybe there's 100 sats in there, and then they'll send the payment, which is one way of handling the issue. Yeah, batching. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's cool, too. I think the important part for me that I've been trying to push is just getting it out there. I've been very... My mentality is more like scrappy MVP. Let's just get it out there. Okay, people... Like, the splits aren't all the way... But if nobody's streaming sats, then I'm not going to fix it because it's not important. Right. But now people are streaming sats. All right, this looks like I need to start working towards moving to msat as the base unit which by the way is not easy <laughs> which i should have done from the beginning is what it is the uh, millisets yeah. so that's a thousandth of a set or what's the breakdown yeah a thousandth of a set yep so and that'll fix some of those problems oh yeah so for math any kind of math stuff that'll definitely help so what are you charging for this or how are you making money with this so right now i'm not and i'm still trying to figure that out mm-hmm. it's Definitely, I'm passing the network fees on to the developers, okay. and that's also rounded to the nearest up to the nearest Satoshi. So there's another Satoshi in there. But I'm really trying to figure out like where I can fit in the value chain here, and it's tough. Building a business on Bitcoin in general has, I think, is pretty tough without touching fiat. 
because it does such a good job of just eliminating the need for a middleman. You realize that like the whole, a lot of businesses are created just from trust, like trust, they're selling trust. And I like to call Bitcoin like zero marginal trust. It's, there's no, it's just hard to capture some value there. So I'm working on that. And you are the bank for a lot of these, well, or certainly some of these podcasting apps where when people, listeners, deposit real money, they do a trade for SATs for Bitcoin, and then you're effectively their bank as they're spending those SATs listening to podcasts. Yeah. So the custodial aspect of it is definitely, it's one of those things where now that the problem is here and it's becoming more of a thing, like I am trying to figure out what that means for me as a custodial service and how to how do I want to position myself in that environment and I'm not entirely sure I'm trying to work through different models like I could manage nodes for people like lightning nodes mm-hmm. per app and then it's more of on their node other it, it yeah that stuff is just so how's it set up right now so obviously people have these wallets I assume they're just essentially entries in the database, and then you're talking to uh, a single node or maybe you've got multiple lightning nodes. How does this operate in the back end? Yeah, so I have basically a node, and then on top of that is basically LMPay functions as an accounting layer. And so there's virtual wallets, really, that I call like outsource wallets that an app developer can come in and then easily give every user of their app a wallet, which comes with permission levels and basic accounting functions, history, send and receive, stuff like that. So they can completely just not have to worry about that process at all. And they can just one step get in there and give lightning functionality in their app. But yeah, that makes me a custodian right now. And right now it's as the lightning network grows and as my adoption of the LMP API grows, the amounts will become more to where it's a concern. And that's like slowly growing. We're still relatively under any serious KYC thresholds and AML stuff, but it's eventually it'll probably get there. And that's like a real problem that needs to be figured out. So how big is your node right now? I got to imagine the more wallets you're getting that you're a uh, custodian for, the larger your lightning node has to get. Yeah, I don't, it's maybe 60 or so channels. It's been around for a while. It's not as big as you'd think, but yeah. And that's a whole other process there is managing the liquidity in the channels. Well, and and that's exactly where I was going. Because even for my little dinky note, this has been a pain in the ass trying to, first of all, trying to figure out what it all means. And then having Adam, on the one hand, give me suggestions and the other hand, let me learn on my own, goddammit. But also... Even aside from the learning aspect, it's you got to manage this stuff. You can't just throw something up and it's going to keep working. You got to actively pay attention to how your channels look. If anyone's dropped any channels, make sure that there's always a path. Because I've certainly seen instances where people couldn't send sats because there's no path to get to you. Yep, and you have, and it costs you capital too. Oh yeah, exactly. So it's whatever. I think at this point, I think I've put in 200 US dollars worth of sats into just mm-hmm. keeping the nodes or the uh, channels open. It's just like that money's just sitting there basically just to keep the channels open to be able to have 
transactions and I've got relatively few transactions going on. But I'm also realizing that there are services that'll let you just rent channels or you pay a monthly fee and then they'll have an outgoing channel to you in the millions of sats or 10 million sats or whatever. Yeah, so I just fully believe that pretty much nobody should have to deal with that stuff unless you want to be a lightning network node Mm -hmm. operator or you want to be completely self-sovereign. If that's really important to you and you have like a lot of capital you want to put in or you're dealing with lots of capital, then I think it makes sense. But nobody needs extreme security over a couple dollars in their podcast wallet. And some of the trade-offs there, I think, are worth it for using, outsourcing some of that trust in exchange for having a nice, easy experience so you can focus on the things that are important to you. Yeah, and that actually brings us to another point, which is just the whole, in, in I think my opinion, most people's opinion, beta status of the whole network, which means don't put any money in there you're not willing to lose mm-hmm. because there are still plenty of bugs out there. There are still issues that could happen. And that's one of the, the things that I would be getting gray hair over if I was doing any kind of a custodial type project myself is what happens if people that, they might only have a wallet with five or 10 bucks in there, but now you've got thousands of people that you're holding these little wallets for that could all through software glitch, through whatever action end up losing their money. That like, that would not be an experience I would want to go through. Yeah. That's cost to be the boss right now on some of that. Especially when you're not making money off of it. Yeah. But it's a, it's a longer term, longer horizon operation right you can't Mm -hmm. my mentality is more i just want to be here when the people like adam and dave come by and they're like oh dude like this api i don't even know how they found me but they just approached me one day and they're like yo like this keysend api i haven't been able to find this anywhere else seems really easy to use can we start recommending this to our our podcast app devs so yeah sure i've been waiting for you guys this is (laughs) these are the you're the people that i want to appeal to and those i wasn't expecting Expecting it that fast, honestly, it was pretty soon. I was expecting that to be still a while, so ways away. But those opportunities are just going to keep coming, and that one's a good one to validate what I'm working on. But yeah, man, there's risks involved, and I think there was a meme for a little bit. It was just being reckless. It's like hashtag reckless. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's. The, I haven't seen it as much lately, but I think that started from the Lightning Network mm-hmm. node implementations trying to meme the fact that their shit was beta. super beta yeah and i think i've talked to a number of people that have mentioned the word beta but i remember specifically i talked to roy from breeze and i asked him your app's been around for quite a while but i i don't see it in the apple store you can only use it through the test app why is that have you had yeah have you had any problems and he said no we are not going to push this out to the main apple store until lightning itself is done in beta and I was like, wow, yeah. okay, that's a, I think that's a hell of a decision, but, but it's, it tells you something that somebody has been working on this for over five years still very much considers the network itself beta, like to the degree that they don't want to have their app. They're not even trying to have the app as a normal non-beta app in the store. Yeah, I think Bree still has some things to figure out uh, business model-wise. They just integrated a podcast player into their wallet. Yep. I'm not... I guess, I don't, this seems unusual. It's cool. 
Well, but I think I, they're yeah. waiting for usage and kind of some of the things to justify. I think for know. them, the podcasting is it did two things. One is it was a good proof of concept that any app can get integrated into Breeze. The other thing is, obviously, I think it, they were looking for, because they are definitely monetizing this stuff. So they were looking for another stream of people that are interested in doing small Bitcoin transactions, which would be the podcasting audience, uh, not necessarily the podcasters who you're mostly working with. And so they were willing to take on the effort to do this integration. And by the way, I've interviewed both them and the guy that wrote the original app, which they ended up using. Yeah, I think I listened to it. That one's live, yeah. right? I think I listened yep. to it. Um, and I, I, Roy's will be up shortly. I, I think this next one in rotation here. I did, and people that are listening, I'm sure are aware. I like recorded ten interviews over the course of one week, and so a lot of my recent podcast episodes were actually recorded before the Apple announcement of the changes that they're doing. Yeah. Which isn't that's not the main point of the episode anyway, but it was just interesting because there's some conversations in those episodes of people still. As speculating about, well, what's Apple going to do? How are they going to react? Like, now we know. <laughs> That's already happened at this point. But yeah, I think as long as you treat it all as a, as a high-risk potential for loss kind of a thing, then you're fine. And really, the individual users are not likely to have large amounts that are kept in either custodial wallets or things that are risky. I think most people that are non-techie are just going to have their money sitting at Coinbase or wherever they're buying it. And then just sending out small little chunks to the to the escrow accounts that the podcasting players have, whether whether it's sitting on your end or on Breeze or Sphinx or wherever. I don't think anyone's like transferring thousands of dollars worth of Bitcoin into those wallets right now. Yeah, I, I have limits in place too to like curb like just individual users putting in like way too much mm-hmm. to protect everything. Really. What do you set the limit to right now? That's pretty much 10,000 sats oh, in okay. or out in one go. Got it. How about, do you have any limits on the size of the wallet itself or not? Not really. And the next limit to come will probably be like a monthly volume limit, probably on the account level. And then maybe move towards what it looks like to get more than that. Or as so I try and figure out some sort of are you, are you doing any kind of stat gathering in the background? Are you pulling any interesting data from the usage uh, across your entire network? Uh, it's all there. I haven't compiled much of it into a digestible form, mm. but some of the podcasting stuff is starting to yield some some data. I can say about 20,000 sats per day are sent out across, yeah, about uh, maybe... 25 to 30,000, actually, I'm looking at right now. Yeah, I was going to say, because I think I'm getting about 5,000 sets a day. So that's from just my, from the podcast apps using my service. Yeah, yeah. No, I get that. But I got to imagine there's only four apps right now total that are doing this. I've soon. Uh, Sphinx and Breeze definitely have to account for a lot of the volume. Yeah. They have a lot of users and they also have a lot of users with like, tiny balances that they need to get out. Like even I've opened my breeze wallet. I was like, oh man, I got like a couple hundred sats and you like forgot about what's the best way to yeah. get these out. I might as well just stream them. And one thing I realized with breeze I hadn't thought about is that it really is tied to your hardware device. So if I've got three breezes running on three different devices, like my iPad, my iPhone and my Android phone, those are all three separate wallets. 
It's yeah. like you're not just logging into a wallet on their system. You're literally creating a wallet on your device. Yes, and they are opening a channel to you. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> I've got the same issue. I've got, like, multiple Breeze accounts with each one has sats in there. And I'm like, okay, at some point I just need to start streaming audio through this device just to clean out the Breeze wallet. Yep. But it's an interesting system. They actually, their approach was very different than what others have been doing. And I think certainly technologically a more complicated one. Yeah, it's just non-custodial on the phone. I think it's like, it's technically sound. It's It mm-hmm. would be ideal to have, yeah, like a note on your phone. Or not, interact with the Lightning Network non-custodially from your phone. And they've yeah. accomplished that and it's cool. But that's, I think, one of the downsides is then it literally is that physical phone is your node rather than an account. If I'm accessing my node using Zap, I'm, my mm-hmm. phone is just the interface for talking to the actual node. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Breeze, your phone really is running, if, if not a real node, at, le- at least it's running that part of the node that's talking directly to Breeze. So it's, I think there's pros and cons. I think there's probably some theoretically enhanced security that comes along with just carrying that wallet around right on your phone. But uh, you also, I think, lose some convenience factor because you're not able to log into that wallet from anywhere else. And the channel limit stuff. I think they opened one, last I checked, it was 1 million sats open channels. They're kind of like a little bound on how much you can send and receive. Yeah. Yeah, and then getting those incoming channels, which I think they're doing now for, I want to say, the deal they did was, I think, 14 bucks per month. If you want to have your own, this would be more for podcasters, not for users, but if you want to do your, they've partnered with, what is it, Volt or, yeah, Voltage, to where you get your node with a million sat incoming specifically tailored towards podcasters. And I think I want to say it was 14 bucks a month, something like that. I probably will sign up for that at some point so I can play around with it directly. But that's not a bad deal if you're actually getting some money coming in as a podcaster. If you're brand new starting out as a podcaster, your audience is very big. That's way more money than you're actually going to receive. So you could end up losing money if you jump the ship too early into a scenario like that. Whereas at least currently with you, where you're still trying to, figure out how you're going to monetize this. It's really cheap for somebody to get into a wallet. Yeah. And I have support for, you can, with the virtual wallet, you can create a wallet and have collect key send payments directly to it, which is cool. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's not really a, it's new. Dave and I have just that podcast index. We've been working on setting that up and getting the protocol. And what are you calling that feature? Value records. I, I don't know. What should it be called? I don't know. It's really just a creator wallet. It's like a podcaster wallet. I don't know if you've Mm -hmm. seen it in there, but you can create a podcaster wallet, which basically it'll give you the code to what of what you need to insert into your podcast 2.0 value block. Yeah, I I played around that. I saw that to it. Yeah, which is which is good. It's good integration. It'd be even gooder. It'd be, I think, cool if podcasting 2.0 had a button on their website that says. Okay, now you've registered your podcast. Would you like to create a wallet or do you want to enter a number? And if somebody doesn't have a number to enter, they can just hit that button and auto-create it on your end. Yeah. Dude, Dave and Adam have been all up on me to help get them set that up. And that's where I need to try and figure out. And I'm trying to think through this is like, 
building a product for creators and developers together is just hard. They're two completely different sets of customers. And I'm trying to build features into my platform that are as agnostic as possible. I don't really necessarily want to tailor a product towards directly towards podcaster podcast creators just because it's going to be hard to cater to all those different verticals as they come like podcast 2.0 is today there's going to be some new ones tomorrow hopefully yeah so yeah it might trying be different. to figure out how to generalize it enough to where oh you can use this as your nice little get get started quickly to yeah get get rolling with some small amount of stats and now if you're, you one know, thing i wanted bucks, to ask you too is going somewhere else i think with your faucets you can set that up if you ha- if you have your own node, like if I had a wallet that was running on your system, I could set up the faucet to automatically withdraw money from from the wallet that's running on your system and send it to my node. Correct? I don't know if you, the faucets are basically timed withdrawals, so I don't mm-hmm. know how you would automatically do it without you physically doing it. Uh, but the sats would be available there without physically doing it. What do you mean? You'd have to. If I'm understanding correctly, you're asking about pulling automatically from a faucet? Yeah, yeah. So let's say that I had an app that was using your wallet, right? I -hmm. could set up a faucet, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but I think I can set up a faucet and say, give give it a minimal amount to withdraw, let's say, of 100,000 sats, or let's say 10,000 sats, because I think that's where your limit is. And so if I'm under 10,000 sats, it's not going to withdraw anything, right? And then if I'm over 10,000 sats, then when it runs, it's going to withdraw 10,000 sats. And the, the destination for that will be a different address, different account. I don't have to use, I guess the question I'm asking is, do I have to use faucets to just send money to people? Or can I use the faucet to just move my own money? Oh, I see. You could use the faucet in like a gift form, like a voucher almost. And scan it and get the money sent somewhere now the faucets are confusing the way they work is not the most clear but yeah i'm not sure i understand all the way okay what, what i'm saying is if i want to if i want to use your ellen pay service and i'm gonna have money coming in so i'm a podcaster i'm getting donations coming in can i set it up using a faucet or maybe it doesn't work but at least that's what it appeared this could be a potential use for a faucet use the faucet to move money automatically on a timed basis out of my LNP wallet to either some other wallet or a node. Oh, I see. I keep the balance in the LNP small enough that I don't care if I lose it. Right. So the automatic way that you're talking about right now mm-hmm. is not really possible through the UI. Yeah. But you could build something like that with the API and access to your wallets to make sure your balance doesn't get too high. And that's actually something... That'd be cool if you built that, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And those are actually the f- type of features that I do want to build, and I call this just good custodial hygiene, right. which is, yeah, like getting your sets out there, out of there, and using the service for its... Pushing the value of the service towards the action, like the technology, right. and to the the service itself being a web service yeah. and I'm managing the liquidity and keeping it up so that you, this stuff works, but I'm not 
actually providing the it's less of a payment processor you're paying me for because i'm not the lightning network is actually processing the payments and i, yeah, I, that would be I cool. think that would be a, a nice to have kind of service to clean things up because i'm doing the opposite right now i'm converting u.s dollars uh to bitcoin but theoretically if you're a larger podcast you're getting certainly like no agenda where you've got hundreds of thousands or even millions of people listening to you and tens of thousands of people that are going to be running apps that have sats enabled there it'd be cool to set up a rule that says okay whenever i hit a hundred thousand account then send half of that let's say fifty thousand to either a node that i'm running just to offload it or maybe even to a coinbase or somebody and where it automatically gets converted into on-chain rather than being off-chain on lightning just to have some automation built in that lets you protect your investment if the size starts getting bigger. Um, because it, it, theoretically, that's the kind of the whole point of doing the streaming stats on the podcast is the techies and, and people that they're interested in Bitcoin, we will keep all of that just in Bitcoin and, or probably even just in the Lightning Network in general. But theoretically, this is something that could replace your income where you're going to have to convert off of Bitcoin, off Lightning, because you're bringing in enough money coming into you to where you can pay all your bills with it. But most of your bills, you're going to have to convert back to US dollars. You're not going to be able to pay directly. So if if that had some sort of a, you've hit your target balance, trigger an automated transfer feature, I think that'd be very cool. I fantasize sometimes about also like sending those sats back out to like the faucets or away, like you were saying, you could put them in the faucet and then give them back to your listeners or use it mm-hmm. as an engagement or marketing tool. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of opportunity for that, that that hasn't happened up to this point, at least that I've seen, and not with podcasting. But yeah, the idea, like right now, I'm putting real dollars in and I'm using the sats that are coming into me as donations, mostly to make sure that I've got the the wallets funded in podcast apps. And since I'm talking to everybody who's a developer, I've got literally every single podcasting app on my phone now, even the ones that don't do sats yet, because eventually they they will. And I might as well have the app loaded in and ready to go whenever it updates. But again, the theory here isn't that you're just going to get enough donations coming in to make donations to people you listen to, but you'll actually get so many donations coming in that you'll be able to start converting this to paying actual bills and whether it's just buying amazon gift cards or or doing a, an exchange back to us dollars through coinbase or one of the other providers whatever it is i think eventually that could be a very realistic scenario for a successful podcast one of the features of giving back sats with the just engagement from creators that uh, proof of concept with a, a friend who has a newsletter is basically putting sats in the email like putting a faucet inside the email so that you can just withdraw, like basically you get paid to read or paid to open and you can start building like real engagement rates and stuff like that. See how much, how far a sat will go to increasing your open rates. Yeah, that's uh, an interesting idea. And also for podcasters, there's a way, there's like this, I was playing around with this, like a way to encode text via audio. It's like a, it'll makes a noise. And then you can like decode it Mm -hmm. and you could put in faucets in there too, to send sats to see who collects from the, like decodes the audio. (laughs) That's funny. So I think there's just a lot of 
yeah, engagement and stuff with the sats, but yeah, paying yourself or making sure you can afford like turning into a real business is yeah, that's pretty important too. Well, that's certainly the goal. And I think right now it's, it's all very much in the testing phase, but, and you certainly need to have a big enough audience who is techie enough to use these apps in the first place to be able to generate any real money. But I think, I can't remember what the numbers, Adam gave some numbers recently about the flow of sats going through the network. And even though his extrapolation wasn't really mathematically correct based on what I found, but it's still a very good indicator. If the 1% contribution to index, and let's say it's even more than 1% because of rounding errors with, um, or not even errors, just rounding in general with sats, but it's still doing, I can't remember what he said, but it was 20,000 or 50,000 per day or something. It was a fairly large number that if you extrapolate that out to the entire podcasting universe using sats, there's a lot more people listing with sats than, than you would think. Yeah, no, there's a lot. And I think there's a, I think there's a gap that someone needs to fill it, which is like a lightning first podcast host, like a host provides you with the wallet to mm. receive and you can manage everything there. And it's, helps you with your value block and lets you manage it or adjust it provides a better interface for that stuff like that i think yeah just an observation of mine because that's what i'm seeing that people need and i don't necessarily want to i can't really integrate that into my service doesn't make that much Mm -hmm. sense but I, i think one of those will pop up yeah and i think as more companies that have financial backing that are vc backed as they get into this wallet space, we're going to start seeing a lot more options as well. Companies that will have functionality more like Strike or something that's really minimalist and tailored to the non-techie person that very easily lets you get into not just Bitcoin, but actually Bitcoin on Lightning. Yeah. I'm trying to be in that layer below. That's where I'm trying to fit in, Mm -hmm. is to have these niches build their stuff. And I'm just underneath helping them figure out how to power it and how to position myself they don't have to worry about any of the actual nitty-gritty of lightning they can just i tell them where to put the money and help manage it for them and it just works for them and their users what what do you think is on the horizon is there anything that you've either seen in not yet implemented podcasting 2.0 features or anything that maybe you wish was there that isn't there right now related to podcasting not just to uh lightning uh one thing i was actually thinking about while we were talking today is there i I don't even know if you can set up like a value split per episode so have a different split on every episode yeah like i can get a split of this episode right hey you're not getting one but yeah i don't think that's (laughs) possible right now i do think somebody had asked that previously and right now it is you have to change the split on the entire rss feed for the whole for the whole podcast I believe, and I'm sure if I'm wrong, there'll be a post by Adam or Dave correcting me immediately once uh, this episode is published. I, sh- I should know that, but I'm pretty sure you're right. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I played from, around those feeds enough. From what I've seen, that split is put into, it's affecting the entire feed. Now, you could theoretically change that split on a weekly basis or however often you put out an episode, but that's not quite going to accomplish the same thing because people don't necessarily consume the episodes in the same week. So you could you could end up having money going to somebody who was on 
or right. who's on this week, but people are listening to last week's episode. It's an interesting idea, and I think they've that there is a guest field now, so that you can specifically credit the guest in there. So maybe there is maybe on the path forward, this is one of the things that will end up showing up is to have a per episode, a split possibility, but I don't believe that's the case today. Aside from that, with the podcasting specifically, um, I'm not really sure. I think that there's a lot of room to just grow in general. That podcast host I was talking about, I think some of those more specific to like helping with lightning or just general subscription like stuff with podcasting and like getting away from the walled garden stuff will start to emerge i think at least yeah i tell you i'm really probably most impressed with the the video aspects and how and i'm blanking out his name so i apologize but the, the, he was one of my first interviews on this topic too but on podcasting 2.0 but he's been working on pretty much the main guy on making sure that the rss works equally well for video as it does for audio alex that was his name sorry yeah. alex but watching on podfriend being able to watch an episode of no agenda cartoon is really cool it's not having to go to youtube to load something up but being able to just treat video just like a podcast subscribe to it have it show up exactly the same way to have it start streaming uh, or being downloaded whatever your preferences so just effectively treating the video enclosure just like an audio enclosure and then being able to play it on the player is really cool now i've been using youtube and other channels for so damn long that obviously that's where all my subscriptions lie but i could certainly see a future where the people that i'm interested in where it doesn't matter if they're on youtube or BitChute or one of the multitude of other video platforms but if they've got an RSS feed for those videos. I don't really care what platform they're on. As long as my app handles video like it does audio, then imagine that. Imagine being able to get away from YouTube, but still using the same app to watch all the different video that you watch. I think that would be huge. Yeah, I I saw that and I wasn't that up to speed on it. But yeah, idea definitely sounds legit. I think... The one one of the things I've thought about with podcasting, like way before any of this podcasting 2.0 stuff, was just it's somewhat related to Lightning too, but just a way that you could use RSS and like pay per episode, like pay to get the episode, so you could own it. And in if you're in the description, there was like a, a Lightning invoice or something, and you paid it, and then the feed basically would then show you the, the full episode instead of yeah so it it, basically that's you could do that in sphinx right now can you uh, the, yeah that type of functionality so you can post a either message or a video or a link even and then assign a price to it and then people won't get the contents unless they pay the they agree to pay for the fee i think i remember i i put up one of the first things i did is i put a, a picture of me of my own face in there and then set it to a thousand sats or something and said that I only right. click on this if you really want to see what I look like. And surprisingly, a few people did. But yeah, you could do that, I think, with a variety of media. The biggest issue with Sphinx is that their interface is very much geared to what the app was built for, which is 
techies talking amongst themselves. And I, yeah, I describe it as a, it, it's essentially Slack with Lightning and Bitcoin slapped on top of it. And I hope I'm not disparaging them because uh, I, I really think that is probably the easiest way to describe things to people that have never looked at it. Because it has channels, it has you know a lot of the same functionality that Slack does. Slack has way more extendability because it's been around for a long time. But but then what Sphinx did is to add the monetization aspects to it, being able to either send sets to a channel or send sets between people or create objects like videos or pictures or links that you can assign value to and then only the people that pay will get access to as well. So maybe maybe the technology in Sphinx would be great for making the next OnlyFans. Yeah, that, actually that. First, I think what Paul and Sphinx are doing is is cool and people get their own node too, mm-hmm. which is cool. It's like a newer, he describes it as like the next, if the internet basically is like re-emerging on the Lightning Network and it's properly incentivized because you have to, every message you send is you basically making a payment and attaching a message yep. to it. But yeah, with the adult content stuff, definitely right. that's a market that <laughs> is ripe for this type of like style of content, especially because yeah. those content creators just get just discriminated on. Or you hear stories about them all oh, the yeah. time, just getting just screwed by whoever is in control of the money. Absolutely. Yeah. So having that technology there, I think Sphinx is a great proof of concept. Again, not to be insulting to them, but I, I think it could be very easily over the course of maybe a half a year to a year transformed into something that is absolutely mainstream and is being utilized by people, not just techies, but all kinds of people, because it does offer the ability to, to assign value to almost anything. And that's where you need guys like Adam to just roll through and just actually get people to adopt it and get encourage and motivate everybody to just do it for a certain like niche that like slowly pushes it into the mainstream. Cause we had talked about in like our little lightning chats and some of the other devs, Oh, you can have so many ideas for so many different verticals, but it's never going to really break out of like techie land without like real influence from guys like Adam who can just, who just have the connections and just whatever to just make it happen, to like push apps to adopt, to push listeners to figure out what the hell sats are and how to stream. Yeah, it's evangelizing yeah, technology exactly. and there are, it's a limited skill set. Like the guy that did it for Apple back in the early days, maybe before your time, was uh, Guy Kawasaki. And he was one of the first, if not the first Apple evangelist where that was his job was to basically make Apple just synonymous with uh, technology, leading edge, and something that everybody aspires to want to have. And there needs to be that for all these other industries that we're talking about to push them forward. And podcasting 2.0 is a good, it's like a good proof of concept, really, that it's okay, it's working and it's, this is possible it's definitely has its issues and it's we're work we're all working on them but it's encouraging to see it to validate that it's solving a real problem and that it's worthy of usage by users and they're willing to jump through the hoops to use it and that's always like a test that i use i think it's like a feature when your stuff is so shitty that people use it anyway it's like a clear indicator that they want to use it and they need to use it yeah just need more of that and they'll come 
slowly but surely it'll come with with the use cases appreciate you taking the time tim to jump on this call do a recording and provide some insights about ellen pay and what you've been up to yeah for sure thanks for chatting lightning and podcast with me i'd like to thank people that donate to this podcast people that donate every month in particular this episode i'd like to thank david for his donation that mentioned tina's podcast thanks for that david and I hope you enjoy this and uh, more episodes to come. And for anybody that's curious and is getting tired of listening to all developers talk, I have one more episode left. And after that, I will be returning back to my usual politics, philosophy, and general rants by Sir Gene. And as always, thanks for joining me. Please do keep in mind that nothing in this podcast represents financial, legal, or medical advice. 